Well, amen. I'm glad that he's never too far from where we are. Amen. Isn't that good? Matter of fact, he's right with us all the time, isn't he? That's good. That's good indeed. Well, we've been dealing with getting back to God, and that's what we've been addressing and dealing with over the last couple of weeks here or so. And we said we need to get back to God for our country, for our culture, our children, and our churches. We've got to get back to God. And we said if we're going to get back to God, then we've got to get back to the Bible as God's Word, as our final authority, as our faith and practice, and as our only hope. And then just last week, we began to say, well, you know what? If we're going to get back to God, not only do we need to get back to the Bible, but we need to get back to prayer. And so we began addressing and dealing with that issue of prayer. And we started off by saying, listen, you know, if we're going to get, we, we got to get back to prayer because we must get back to prayer because we're commanded to pray. We got to get back to prayer because we're commanded to. That's a good enough reason there alone, isn't it? Just because we're downright commanded to. So it says, why do we need to pray if God knows everything? Because we're commanded to. And what's the point? I mean, if he knows my needs and he knows my hurts and my heartaches, he knows what my greatest uh, uh, aspirations are and dreams are, what, what in the world do I need to pray about it for? Why do I need to pray about anything? God already knows. Because he commanded us. That's a good reason right there. And then we said, not only that, but we need to get back to prayer because it procures the power of God. And we talked about that a little bit. We shared some time in the Word of God, and we talked about some men through the years that God answered their prayers, and we saw God do great and mighty works, not only in their lives, but also in a, great, in a nation, our nation, as a result of prayer. It procures the power of God. If you want power in this life, if you want God to use you in a mighty way, if you want to see lives transformed and changed, it'll never happen without prayer. And so tonight we pick up where we left off and we say, listen, we need to get back to God indeed, but we get back to God by getting back to prayer. And so tonight we're going to pick up where we left off and begin by saying we need to get back to prayer because unless we pray, we'll not receive. So let's go ahead and have a word of prayer and we'll continue from there. Father, we come to you. We thank you again just for the choir and Lord, just the wonderful music that You've given us here, Father, for the special tonight, and Lord, for the congregational singing. Lord, we thank you for the fellowship one with another. But Lord, tonight, we, more than anything, need to meet with you. Holy Spirit of God, I pray that you'd fill me with your spirit, and Lord, may you remove me out of the way, and may I just simply be your mouthpiece. Please stand in my shoes and allow me just to be a conduit between you and your people. Lord, bless the people of God, and may they, their ears be anointed that they may hear the spiritual things you'd have for them. God, so many times we hear with physical ears, but Lord, we need to hear with the spiritual ears. So Father, do a work in our hearts and our lives, and may we leave here better for having come. Well, thank you and praise you for what you will accomplish. Lord, may you help our prayer lives to be better than they even are now. Well, thank you in Christ's name, amen. So he said we must get back to prayer because unless we pray, we're not going to receive. I want to consider the necessity of prayer in light of that. Turn, if you would, to James chapter 4, verse 2. What a tremendous passage it is. James chapter 4, verse 2.
The Bible says there in James chapter 4, verse 2, Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have, and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Isn't that something? It says, ye have not, because ye ask not. Well, we are constantly seeking to get our way, to somehow find ourselves uh, uh, the best situation possible provide ourselves with the most comfortable positions possible. In this case, he says you even, uh, you, you kill and you desire to have and you can't obtain. You fight in war. Why? Because you have not, because you ask not. He goes on to say, and if you don't at times, it's because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lust. So there's an element here where we have to be asking with the right motivation for the right purpose. So many times our prayers are just simply selfish, are they not? So many times they're consumed in our own lust. What I need, what I want. Are you kidding me? I've got that little Chevy outside. I'd sure like to have a BMW. You know, I've got that two-bedroom house, but it'd sure be nice to have a four-bedroom mansion on the lake. I'm just saying if we're not careful, we lose sight of what's most important. And before it's over with, our prayers are directed to God, yes, but they're directed toward us. Now, there's nothing wrong with praying for your needs. There's nothing wrong with asking God to meet the needs of your family. That's, a, that's an important part of what we're talking about here. You have not because you ask not. Boy, we need to be careful how and why we ask as well. But he says, listen, if you're not getting what you, what, what, what you need in your life, then you're probably just not asking. And if you are asking, then you're asking with the wrong motivation and for the wrong purpose. Little boy, he sees cookies on the shelf, or cookie on the shelf, and he, he thinks to himself, you know, surely mom won't give it to me now before dinner. There's no way in the world she's going to give it to me now. I'll ask after dinner. And then after dinner, the boy begins to think, and he says, you know what? You know what mom's going to say? She's going to say, no, you don't need anything else to eat now. You're going to get ready for bed. And so when he wakes up in the morning, he dreams about the cookie, mind you. He wakes up in the morning. He decides to ask his mom to to put the cookie in his lunch. But the cookie was gone. Where's the cookie, mommy, he says. Your sister ate it last night. But I wanted it. You should have asked. Now, I know that's a ridiculous little story, and we say, ah, it's no big deal. But that is really the reality of the situation. How many times does God just sit in heaven waiting for us to ask? And we think to ourselves, ah, I'm not going to waste his time, or I'm not going to ask now. Oh, God probably wouldn't want to give that to me at this point anyway. We second-guess ourselves. We, we talk ourselves out of some things. And yet, the fact is, is that we have not because we ask not. There are a number of passages that address prayer. But there aren't many more popular passages or well-known ones as Matthew chapter 7. Turn to Matthew chapter 7, would you? Verse 7. So many times we're asking, and may have mentioned this last week or uh, whenever possibly, but uh, we ask a lot of things of God, and uh, sometimes God does not answer the way we ask, and Sometimes people will be rather upset with God. And 
They're concerned that, well, I, I thought God said he would answer my prayer. And according to Matthew 7, 7 through 11, we get the idea that no matter what you ask for, no matter how you ask for it, no matter why you ask for it, you're going to get it. It says in Matthew 7, 7, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you whom, if his son asks bread, will he give him a stone? I think it's important to understand, what's his son asking for? Something to sustain him, food. He didn't ask for a Maserati here. He didn't ask for an Armani suit. He didn't ask for a $300 pair of Nikes. He's asking for something to eat. I think that's important, mind you, because I think it goes with James chapter 4. But notice he goes on to say here in the passage, he says, for he says, oh, oh, what man is there of you whom, if his son asks bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your, heavenly, shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? Now listen, I've got to believe with all my heart that God intends and desires to give us the best things. I don't believe he wants to withhold anything that's necessary and needful in our life. I don't even believe that he wants to withhold things that we will use for his glory and and we can enjoy. And I don't think that God's uh, upset with people that have money. I just don't believe that. Now listen, very few people have a lot of money. But just because you have a lot of money doesn't mean God's upset with you. Praise God. Maybe God can trust you with money. I'm just saying, you know, it has nothing to do with that. But asking God things isn't just about material gain. It's about many things, and especially spiritual things. I mean, when's the last time we asked God to save a soul? When's the last time we asked God to to restore a marriage? When's the last time we asked God to restore a teen back into the fold of its parents and where that child is submissive and yielded and surrendered to the authority of mom and dad? Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. How many times, again, do we ask things to consume it upon our lust? I mean, how many children say, you know what, you know, what, do, I want, what do you want for Christmas, young man? I want a battleship. Oh, sure, let me get you one of those. No, I don't mean a little model, I mean a real one. What's a kid going to do with a battleship? And sometimes we're asking things of God that we really don't need because we really don't even know how to use them properly yet. And so here's here's how I believe from what I can tell in the Word of God how it works, okay? I I ask God for something, and I'm permitted, and and He encourages me to ask. First of all, I'm commanded to pray. But then He says, man, ask, and ye shall receive. And you have not because you ask not. So He says, okay, ask. So I start asking. And I believe that prayer is more for me than it is for God. I don't believe that God needs my prayer. I believe I need my prayer. I believe my prayer reveals to God my great need of him. And so as I pray, God says, you know what? You know what? You can't see the big picture. You're very limited in your scope of things. And, and so he withholds that from me for the time being. And he begins to, to through the prayer and through the, my Bible study and through my Bible reading and through the, the leadership that God places over my life and in my life and through the mentorship of others that are faithful Christians, he begins to mold and to make me. And he begins to turn and to sway my p- particular prayers. 
All of a sudden, the thing that I'm praying for doesn't seem to be so important to me now. And he starts to turn my prayer into another area. And some of the prayers God answers with a yes. We know that he answers some prayers with a no. But I think more often than not, he changes my prayer. I mean, let's face it. If we really were honest, we'd pray that our children never get sick. That our family never endures any kind of illness. That we have more money than we'll ever need. That we never have to be upset with any kind of um, situation that would, you know, upheave our schedules. And the truth is, is that in the Christian life, we don't grow without all those things. That's a reality. Look at the Bible. Read through the book of James. Read through the book of Romans. And God says, little children, listen, let me help you. Even as a child, a child asks for, for donuts. Give me, more, give me a donut, mommy. Mommy says, you don't need a donut now. Why? Because I said so. But anyway, maybe you explain. And you say, because you are gonna, you're going to eat dinner in just a matter of a half hour. You don't want to ruin your dinner. Do you know what that child grows up learning? You don't eat sweets before dinner because you'll ruin your dinner if you're consistent. They don't grow up being bitter at mom. She never gave me a donut before dinner. That's not what happens. That child grows up and says, uh, uh, let's see, maybe their brother or sister has a baby and comes around, I want a donut. And he says, you're not getting the donut because... You'll ruin your dinner. And then they'll say that to their kids. And today we just throw it all out the window and let them have whatever they want and they're spoiled little brats. And we wonder why we're all miserable. But God's not like that. God sometimes withholds things from us because it's for our own good best interest. But let me say something. You will never get unless you ask. You'll never receive unless you ask. And I never go to God asking... And, 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 and say simply, what I want is what I want. I think we're wise to go to God and say, like Jesus did, this is what I want, not my will, but thy will be done. Because really what I want to say to God is this, if you don't answer the prayer the way I want it, you know what, you're still God, and you're still good, and you're still my Father, and I'm not going to get angry with you, and I'm not going to dismiss you, <clears throat> and I'm not going to be angry with you, Lord. I just want what's best for me. And I don't always know what's best, but you do. And you know what's best for my family, too. Now, that's not easy sometimes, but it is a reality. <clears throat> and if we will be yielded to the Lord, you'll find that many times, almost always, you'll find that you get far more than you really deserve, and you'll say, thank you, Jesus. I didn't deserve that. You've been more than good to me. He goes on to say, or if he asks a fish, will he give him a serpent? And then, being evil, if, you know, if ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? Well, there's no one that wants to do more for you and meet more needs in your life and 
be better to you than the Lord Jesus Christ? Nobody. Well, how quick we are to turn on God because of this area of prayer unanswered in our minds. We say, God didn't answer. I ran into a lady years ago, and I, I still vividly remember it. And I, 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 some, somebody may even know this lady in this crowd. I don't know, but I was a youth director years and years ago. <clears throat> and I ran into this older couple. They were probably in their 50s. They were taking a, they were uh, the youth directors for a particular church. And, and I ran into this lady, and I, and I began to talk to her and her husband. And she said, I want you to know that this guy right beside me is a miracle. And I said, really? She said, I prayed for over 20 years that he'd get saved. 20 years. I don't know about you, but very few of us would continue to pray 20 years for anything. <clears throat> and then we'd turn and look at God and say, see, God, you're not answering prayer. And my life's still miserable. And my husband's still a drunk. And my husband's still not the nicest guy in the world. Oh, I know I married him and said, till death do you part. But look at him now. Just thought I'd throw that in. (laughs) 20 years or more she prayed for this man. And there he sat on that bench in that roller rink with a bunch of teenagers at, I don't know what he was at the time, 55 years old, as a youth director. Man, God did a miracle. But it didn't happen overnight, friend. How much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good gifts to them that ask Him? We see the necessity of prayer here, but we also note the neglect of prayer. You know, many will will excuse their prayerlessness by saying things like, I don't have time to pray. I'm just too busy. I I, want to pray. I just don't have time to pray. Now, and you may not even say that out loud, but you think it. Martin Luther used to say, I'm so busy now that if I did not spend two or three hours each day in prayer, I would not get through the day. Can you imagine that? I'm so busy now that if I did not spend two or three hours each day in prayer, I'd not get through the day. We say the opposite. I'd spend some time in prayer if I had some time, if I wasn't so busy. And we wonder, listen, we wonder why we don't have any power, the power of God in our life. We wonder why our families don't have the power of God. We wonder why our children don't have the power of God and why our churches don't have the power of God. Maybe we're just too busy to pray for it. Let me give you a few facts about George Mueller. We talked about him last week just a little bit. He had a tremendous reputation of prayer. But maybe we didn't express the workload that he had at the time of this time of prayer. Mueller was becoming a well-known Christian leader. He answered some, listen to this now. He didn't have email. He did not have a, a keyboard. He didn't have a computer. He had a I guess one of those kind of pens you dip in ink. I mean, he didn't even have a big pen. 
He answered some 3,000 letters a year without a secretary. Besides his orphanages, the four other objectives of his scriptural knowledge institute institution, excuse me, claimed his attention, and he continued his pastoral work at Bethesda Chapel also. So here he is. He's writing these 300 responses and letters. He's got these orphanages, four other objectives. of it. He's got the Scriptural Knowledge Institution, and, and, and then he's also pastoring a church. He's doing all of this, and he still has time to pray and meet the need of those thousands. I'm talking thousands of orphans. <clears throat> well, he's a special man. Of course he's special. You want to know why? Because he prayed. It's amazing what we can do if we'll put the first things first. So we noted that we need to get back to prayer. And one of the reasons we said we need to get back to prayer was simply because we are commanded to pray. We said not only that, but we need to get back to prayer because it procures the power of God. Then we said, we got to get back to prayer because unless we pray, we'll not receive. <clears throat> Finally, we must get back to prayer because the need is so great. Because the need's so great. Do you realize that without prayer, there can be no hope for our homes? Listen, we live in a very decadent culture, a very wicked and evil world. I'm still, whether or not we we live back in Leave it to Beaver days, back in the 1950s and maybe one of the nicest neighborhoods in America, it wouldn't matter. The fact is we still have satanic work taking place in the lives of people. But I'm telling you, in the day and age in which we live, it has only complicated matters and made it even that much more difficult to raise a family for the Lord Jesus Christ. Very few, there are very few godly homes in America today. It's one thing to go to church. It's another thing to take church home. Prayer will produce a sweet spirit in your home. It'll produce peace and order in your home. Listen, if you spend time in prayer, you probably are, are putting Christ in the right place in your life and in your marriage and in your home. And when that happens, when Christ gets at the center and the forefront of your home, there's peace there. See, God is not the author of confusion. And unfortunately, there's too much confusion in our homes. And that is evidence that Christ is not on the throne in our homes. How do we get him on the throne then? We pray. We ask God to take center stage. We place him there and ultimately we elevate him by being in his word consistently, not just ourselves, but as a family. We make up our minds there's some things that don't belong in our home any longer or in our lives. And we separate ourselves from the world and we say there are some things that are are to be sacred and our home is one of them. And we're not permitting the world in our home. The Bible says in Psalm 127 verse 1, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman worketh but in vain. I'll tell you what, you are fighting a downhill battle if you're trying to have a home without God at the helm. 
And you know what? That means, listen, don't tell me God's in charge of your home if there's no prayer in your home. Let's get honest with ourselves. Why is it that the Christian home is just as messed up, as chaotic and confusing as the world? Because there's no prayer. There's no God on the throne of the home. How sad it is when a man says, I'm going to be the head of the home, but there's no head over me. No wonder we got a mess. There's not one man in the world that can run anything without it being self-centered and egotistically motivated if God's not on the throne of his life. Pride will always find its way in that heart. Gentlemen, we need Christ at the center of our home. And that starts with him being at the center of our lives. And there is no Christ in the home without prayer in the home. So without prayer, there can be no hope for our homes. Well, I'll tell you what, there's a great need today. We've got to get back to prayer for the great need. See, without prayer, there's going to be no hope for our children. And we note again, the home, well, they're, part of the, they're a byproduct of our home life. We've got to bathe our children in prayer. There's so many evil influences. There's so many wicked peers. There's so many opportunities to slip and slide and ultimately fall into the clutches of Satan. We need to pray for their souls. We need to pray for their relationship with God. Do you know what? And I'm going to say this, and you don't have to agree with it, but I'll be honest with you. I think it's a pitiful, pitiful, pitiful thing when Christian parents are more concerned about praying for their son's financial future than they are about their son's spiritual well-being. There's something wrong with that. There's something wrong when you're more concerned that they're suited for society, that they're somehow prepared to provide for a family, but they're not spiritually strong. Well, my kid's a doctor. Well, good for you. And what's that going to help him when he goes to hell? How's that going to help his children when they're going to hell because daddy doesn't want nothing to do with God? If you neglect God in their life, hey, by all means, be a doctor. By all means, be a lawyer. By all means, get a job where you can make a good living. Make as much as you can so you can give as much as God wants you to. But let me tell you something. Don't neglect God in the process. Boy, they need him more than they need an education. Well, we ought to be praying for their spiritual well-being. We need to be praying for their relationship with God. We need to be praying for their spouses. Long before the spouse ever comes, we ought to be saying, God, bring the right person in their life. <clears throat> now, let me, let me express a, or, or put to rest a misnomer. And I'm just going to say it. I do not believe for one minute that there's only one person in the world for me to marry. I do not believe that stuff. So, uh, God made one woman on the entire earth for you. You know, first of all, do you realize there's more women in the world than there are men? That means there are women that are being left out. That don't seem too fair. Do you know what I know for a fact, and I believe this for years, that in the end, what I want to find is somebody that's going to apply the biblical principles. And if they'll apply biblical principles, and I apply biblical principles, our marriage will work. 
It's funny, at the couples retreat, I, I stated a, 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 some statistics about arranged marriages. I think we said that only 6% of arranged marriages fail. But almost 60% of our marriages are failing. You want to know why? Because when we enter into a marriage, it's all because we, we fell in love. You know what God's intention is for a married couple? To grow in love. So we get to the altar and we spend this massive amounts of money for this big major show. And the whole time we're forgetting that there's a marriage that follows. Well, we better get back to some praying. And praying that God will bring the right person into their life. But I can tell you this. If for some reason they don't marry their first love, that doesn't mean they missed out on the will of God. And by the way, love is pretty, comes by pretty cheap today. It's funny how quick we fall in and out of love as Americans. When it doesn't seem that God ever does. And we're to be, have the mind of Christ. Thank you, preacher. This is a blessing. This is so good. We ought to be praying for their attitude. They have the proper attitude. If I asked you what's the proper attitude of a teenager, of a young person, I'd get a number of answers. But boy, they ought to have an attitude of servitude. We're not teaching our children to be servants today. Therefore, they're not serving anyone, and they're not, they're not serving us or anyone else either in many cases. Now, we have a good group of young people, and I'm not getting on our teenagers. I'm thankful for their heart and their attitude. I don't see them at home, but I do see them out here. But I'll tell you one thing, a child will be more obedient if they're a servant. You better teach your kids to quit eating before they do the work. What I mean by that is, when it's time to pick up chairs upstairs, you tell your kid, you stop feeding your face, son, and get over there and pick up a chair and put it against the wall with the rest of the men. You learn to be a servant, son. And you just stop fellowshipping, sir, for a minute and say, son, it's time for us to go to work because that's what servants do. Let's go. Teach them to be servants and you'll be amazed how they'll also submit to your leadership too. I'm just throwing all this little extra stuff in. You need to pray for their future in general. You need to pray that they have godly direction and leadership in their life. Listen, dangers lurk on every hand. How much time are you praying for your kids, your teenagers, for your grandbabies? Listen, without prayer, there can be no hope for our homes, no hope for our children, and obviously there's no hope for our marriages. In 1 Peter 3, 7, turn there if you would, please. Look what it says here. It's interesting. I was telling the singles because I'm dealing with marriage in the singles class. And you say, well, they're not married. I know, but they will be, Lord willing, one day. I know they all want to be, most of them. I would hope, I, I imagine they do. And by the way, singles, you ought to be in Sunday school because you'd learn something. About how to be married. About how to live your life. How many of you parents just love telling your kids the same thing 10,000 times? 
because they won't, they're not where they're supposed to be to get what they're supposed to get the first time. That's why it's important that we come to church so we can get what we need when we need it. Well, pastor, I heard you preached a sermon on this. I'd love to, can you tell me about it? If you'd have been there, you'd already know it. So now I get to work twice as hard so that you can stay home and relax. I'm just threw that out there. I don't know if that makes sense to you, but it sure does to me. And I think it makes sense to every parent and every Sunday school teacher here. Marriages. Look at 1 Peter 3, 7. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, watch this, that your prayers be not hindered. Listen, it should be pretty clear from the context of the passage that prayer is important in a marriage. So what might be a good prayer offered by us as spouses? What, what should we be praying for? Well, first of all, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12, the Bible says this, And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. And someone says, well, the context of that verse is not marriage. Hey, I'm glad you brought that up. Because it's an amazing thing then to me that God would expect you and I to increase and abound in love one toward another more than he does for being my spouse. That doesn't even make sense then. I got to tell the singles, it's amazing to me how many verses we chuck out the window because we say that doesn't apply to marriage directly. Are you kidding me? The Christian life is one of love and we're to abound in love and we're to grow in our love one toward another. If we're to grow in love one toward another here, right here, me to you, you to me, you to one another, then how much more should you be growing in love toward your spouse? Then it makes sense to say otherwise. Well, that doesn't apply to marriage. Are you kidding me? What's the, one of the greatest things you hear from people that are in, having a problem? Uh, I, I, just, I just don't love them anymore. No, you just stopped growing in love. You're not obedient. Not to the commands of Scripture. Because if God wants you to grow in love towards your sister in Christ or your brother in Christ, don't tell me he doesn't want you to grow in love to your spouse. So what's a good prayer? Well, I I think this would be a good one. Praying that God would increase our love for our spouse. I mean, if that's what he wants us to accomplish, then we're praying in his will then. So if, if I'm asking something that's in the will of God, then I know that he has my petition according to 1 John. He's hearing my prayer. And what's God want to do with a prayer that's in his will? He answers it. We've got to say, Lord, help me to increase in love. Not for the sake of my life being better. Not increase my love toward my partner so that they ultimately respond to me in a better way. And it makes my life more convenient and better No, not selfishly, but simply as a minister of the gospel. Simply as a ministry, I'm going to minister to my wife. I'm going to minister to my husband. And therefore, help me to grow in love toward them so that I can better meet their needs. God will answer that prayer. He'll answer it. That'd be a good prayer for our our marriages. Without prayer, there can be no hope for our homes, our children, our marriages. And we've already noted there's no hope for our country without prayer. Hey, listen, remove prayer from from our lips and our country has no hope. 
And furthermore, we could say the same thing about our churches. In Luke chapter 10, verse 2, the Bible says, Therefore he said, he say, uh, uh, excuse me, said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the labors are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth labors into his harvest. It's funny, the Lord doesn't have very many prayer requests. Here's one, right there. You know what his prayer request is? That you and I pray that he send forth labors into the harvest. Lord, send us a music man. Lord, send us a soloist. Lord, send us a piano player. Lord, send us a preacher that's actually nice. (laughs) But you know what we ought to be praying for? Labors to go out into the field. Lord, we need labors to make meals for the sick. Lord, we need labors to provide cookies for vacation Bible school. Hey, listen, I get it, and there's nothing wrong with praying about that, but how come we'll pray about that, but we never pray, it seems, that God sent forth laborers. Can you imagine if everyone in this room right now started saying, Lord, I, I'm going I'm to abide by your prayer request. I, I'm going to obey you by praying and, and, and doing what you said. I'm going to pray that... You would, that, that you would send forth labors into, its, into your harvest. I'm going to start praying that. You know why we don't pray that, don't you? Because we know his finger will come down on our life. He'll go, you're the one. Our churches, boy, do we need to pray. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 9, it says in verse 9 and 10, For what thanks can we render to God again for you? For all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God, night and day praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. Man, the Apostle Paul and his his followers, they were praying and praying and praying exceedingly that they might see them face to face and that they might perfect that which is lacking in their faith. Boy, this church is never going to be what God intends it to be without prayer. Because the people of God will never be what they're supposed to be without prayer. And obviously, without prayer, there can be no hope for for souls. No hope at all. How little time do we spend praying for the souls of men and women? I would dare say we spend a lot more time knocking on doors than we do praying for them. Listen, can I tell you? Guilty as charged. Can you imagine if we prayed for two hours for souls and then went out for two hours knocking doors? I don't know about you, but this convicts me here. In 2 Peter 3, 9, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And he says over there, let's turn over to the book of Psalm, chapter 12, real quick. As we close this out here, Psalm chapter 12. I believe it's in there, Psalm chapter 12. Hmm. Maybe not. 
Sometimes I get passages mixed up. It's 5 and 6. 126, 5 and 6, I think. I think that's what it is. If not, I'll probably give you another one real quick. No. <laughs> no, it's that one. It's chapter 126, verses 5 and 6. He says, They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. I don't see the word prayer in there, but I'm going to tell you something. If somebody's weeping over souls, I guarantee you they've prayed. Well, I'll tell you, there is no hope for the souls of men and women in our world without prayer today. Boy, prayer is so important today, and we've got to get back to prayer. If we're going to get back to God, we have to get back to prayer. I'm going to close by asking you a question that was posed by a woman named Corey Ten Boom. Corey Ten Boom lived in 1892 to 1983. She was a woman who, at the age of 50 years old, found herself in prison and finally confined to a Nazi work well, to Nazi work camps during World War II. Here's the statement she made. Here's the question she asked. Is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? Is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? It's been said, when a Christian shuns fellowship with other Christians... The devil smiles. When he stops studying the Bible, the devil laughs. When he stops praying, the devil shouts for joy. Do you have any needs today in your life? Are there any needs in your family that you can think of? Can you think of someone else that has a need a hurt, a heartache. Maybe it's time we get back to prayer, amen? Jeremiah 33, 3, Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and shew thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. If we're going to get back to God, we've got to get back to prayer. So let's make it a point at Community Baptist Temple, in our own lives, personally and individually and corporately, to make prayer big to make it a big deal in our lives, our families, our homes, our church, so that it can be a big deal in the world in which we live. Father, we come to you. We thank you again, Lord.